What is up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Finn Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony John Bloody Jr. If this is your first time here on the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you. If it's not your first time, glad to have you back. And today we are going to be going over the 2022-2023 season for your Miami Dolphins, uh, taking a look at the positives, the negatives that happened throughout the year, as well as taking a brief look forward ahead to the 2023 season, as well as going over the defensive coordinator search uh, that's currently underway for the Miami Dolphins. Um, You know, I'll give you my top candidates, the guys that I would like to see uh, coaching this defense in 2023. So I think the best place to start when looking back at the 2022 season, first place, first thing I guess I want to say overall is the theme when I was looking back at all of the things that happen in 2022 for the Miami Dolphins, the word that kept coming back to me, whether it was offense, quarterback, special teams, defense, it was consistency. And so when we look at the Miami Dolphins 2022 season, the biggest thing that jumps out to me is there was just a consistent lack of consistency in basically all areas of the field. And I think to start with this, we have to address the obvious one. And I want to get it out of the way because, you know, the last two months I've been on vacation, I've been uh, traveling for work, so I haven't been able to really talk about a lot of this. But a lot's happened in the last two months as far as my views of this team, especially at the quarterback position. And I don't think that anyone as a Dolphins fan could look at 2022, whether you are a Tua stan or you're a Tua hater, whatever you are, I don't think anyone can look at the 2022 season and not address the elephant in the room, which is the fact of what could have been if Tua doesn't get injured and doesn't suffer two, maybe even three concussions, not uh, unofficial three concussions during the season. Um, and for me, you know, I think that I've always been fair in my criticism of Tua when he struggled. I've called it out. I've also been pretty fair in saying that we need to give him three years. Um, he doesn't suck. He has his, you know, limitations definitely as a quarterback with what he's physically capable of. But especially the appeal of seeing him with Tyreek and Waddle and having a better offensive line, running backs, an offensive-minded head coach who believed in him, I think all of us were were eagerly anticipating what was going to come in 2022. And for the most part, you know, the, the sad part is we're sitting here talking about Tua, you know, questioning his future, but none of it has to do with his play on the field. And I think for a lot of people, including myself, a lot of Dolphins fans, that's where it's hard Because typically, you know, when you're talking about your franchise quarterback, the thing that's going to stop you from wanting this guy as your quarterback for the future is typically play on the field. But what we saw from Tua in 2022 with Hill and Waddle and Moster and the addition of Jeff Wilson, an improved offensive line, a better scheme, uh, a coach that believes in him, we saw Tua that led statistically in almost every category on offense. Okay, and a lot of those categories, like he was leading in certain touchdowns and and or not certain touchdowns, he was leading certain quarterbacks in touchdowns and yards, and he missed 
you know, five and a half games this season, which is what's crazy. And so the appeal as a Dolphins fan is the fact that when healthy, we have a quarterback that's able to essentially play top five quarterback on any given day. The problem, though, and this is where I'm going to talk about my stance now on Tua, the problem is we've seen now three years in a row, Tua has been eligible. He was eligible to play. I don't count the games he didn't play his rookie season because he was redshirting, but he played 10 games as a rookie, or he was available 10 games. He missed one of them, okay? He was avail- He was eligible 17 games last year and 18 games this year if you consider the playoffs, okay? So if you do the math, that's 45 games from when he was named starter that he was eligible to play. He missed one game his rookie season. Last year, he missed five games. I really only consider four because that game against Houston, he was able to play. That was Brian Flores, quote-unquote, using the injury as a way to bench Tua and show that he could win without him, which, yeah, you beat the Texans, but then you stunk it up against the Ravens without him. So he missed four games there. He missed one game his rookie year. And then this past year, he misses a half game against the Bengals, and then he missed five games, including the playoffs. So that right there, that's 10 and a half games out of 45 eligible games that that your starting quarterback has missed, okay? You do the math on that, that's nearly 25% almost of the games, a quarter of the games that he's been eligible to play, he has not played. And, you know, it happens once, okay, it happens two times, it happens three times in a row, even dating back to college the last six years, it starts to not become necessarily a fluke, but maybe a pattern that you should take account of. And I think that when we look at Tua moving forward, we can't just sit in this fantasy land where we're like, well, let's run it back with Tua because he's going to be healthy next year. You get him an improved offensive line and a better running game. And my worry, and this is why I I don't believe Tua is our franchise quarterback, and I will say that strongly, that's my stance. I do not believe he's our franchise future quarterback, is because Tua is the Tehran Armstead of quarterbacks right now. When he's healthy, I mean, damn, he's going to give you some great football. Now, Tehran has done it for more years than Tua. We'd have to see Tua do it for at least one to two more years where when he is playing, he's playing elite football. But what we... What, what what I'm starting to see is that two is at the Toronto Armstead of the quarterback position. He's great when he's healthy, but every year you go into, you know, the season with two as your quarterback, you have to account for at least three to five games to where he is going to miss. Now the concussions, there I'm not going to say like whether or not he's more prone to concussions. Neuro uh, neurologists out there, neuro, neuroscientists. People who study this stuff and know what the hell they're talking about have had mixed feelings. Some of them have said he's not more prone. Um, You know, others have said he is more prone. I don't know. All I know is three concussions in one year is not good. And the fact that last year he was out with ribs and the year before that finger, then in college a hip and an ankle, it adds up. And what I do know about Tua is regardless of the concussions or not, he is a small quarterback. And what was alarming to me as a Dolphins fan watching these games is that the hits where he was getting injured, it's not like he was getting rocked. 
The Bengals one, yeah, I guess he kind of got thrown to the ground, but quarterbacks get thrown like that all the time. I mean, I'm watching it in the playoffs. I'm watching it every single week, Sunday night football, Monday night, whatever it is. I'm seeing quarterbacks get thrown all over the place. And what's alarming to me is like I could understand if Tua takes a crazy hit like we've seen, you know, Pat White take, Matt Moore in the playoffs in 2016, other quarterbacks, you know, Joe Flacco, when we played him and Kiko Alonso gave him a concussion. I understand those. But I mean, we're talking about two plays, the concussion possibly against Buffalo. He gets pushed by Matt Milano and he just doesn't know how to brace himself. And then the play against Green Bay, he gets tackled after he throws it at his legs and he just falls backwards and hits his head. That's what's concerning to me. And when I look forward at next season, you know, I hear a bunch of people talking about the appeal of Tua in a second year of this system, and I get it. Tua has not had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row, I don't think since high school, okay? And I understand that year two Tua should have an even bigger improvement in consistency on the field as he did in 2022. However, my issue is I don't see how that translates to the Dolphins being any better than they were this year. And the reason for that is Tua, again, statistically was ranked like number one in a lot of categories this year, a lot of statistics. It's hard to get better than first. You can't. So year two, I don't really see what the improvement was. Like I don't, or I don't see what the improvement, how that translates to more wins for us. At the end of the day, we could have won, even if he, you know, didn't play bad against the Chargers, against the 49ers, it didn't matter because he still was not available for the playoffs. So when I translate that to next season, it's like, yeah, of course I'm excited about Tua in the second year of this system. Of course, yeah, let's get him a better offensive line. Of course, you know, the chemistry with Hill being a year more developed, of course that's great. But the offensive line was not atrocious this year. Mike McDaniel, with the way he moves guys in this offense, motioning Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, it puts stress on the defensive line to where it makes it easier for the offensive line. I'm not saying they're great. I'm not even saying they're really good. They're, they were average to slightly above average, sometimes, sometimes slightly below average, but they weren't atrocious. And the thing about it is I, I see people saying, build the offensive line, build the run game. Tua is going to get hit. I don't know what other way to explain it. Like, Tua is going to get hit. It's football. And the hits that he took this year, the Bills game, he threw the football and Matt Milano pushed him. And yes, he shouldn't have pushed him. It was a late hit. But how many times do we see quarterbacks get pushed like that? They don't get concussions. So, yeah, he needs to learn how to fall. The Bengals game, you, I mean... If you can find me a play where his pocket was cleaner than that play where he got the concussion against the Bengals, DM me on Twitter. Because I can't, there, there, that was the cleanest pocket he's had, and he has Jalen Waddle wide open for what could have been a touchdown on deep cross. Doesn't pull the trigger. That's not the offensive line's fault. The one against the Packers, it's not like against the Bills in 2021 where, like, you know, he just has a free rush or hit him right in the ribs. That's different. The, the one against the Packers, he's doing a little dump-off pass to, to Durham Smythe, and then the guy just tackles him at his feet, and he falls and gets another concussion. And that's what worries me is like, yeah, of course, building your offensive line is going to help his development as a quarterback, but it's not necessarily how Tua gets hit. It's the fact that just 
if he gets hit, and he's going to get hit in the NFL. It's as simple as that. I'm seeing guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, even Jalen Hurts with the offensive line he has in Philadelphia getting hit consistently game after game. And it's like he's going to get hit. I don't know what other way to put that. And the reason why I'm out on him as a franchise guy is I would love to sit here and say, if you get a healthy Tua for 17 games a season, because you play 17 out of 18 weeks, no questions asked, we're Super Bowl bound. Because I saw when he was healthy, you know, the San Francisco game, that was on him. Guys were wide open all over the place. He messed up. Chargers, I think, was the first game Mike McDaniel got schematically outcoached. But like the Green Bay Packers game, he was slicing and dicing until the concussion. All the other games he was healthy this season, slicing and dicing. Maybe the Pittsburgh game, we could talk about it because it was his first game back from a concussion. But yeah, if you're getting healthy Tua for 17 games a season, we're good. But the issue is like Teron Armstead, you are always going to need a good contingency plan with Tua at quarterback. Always. And it, it's a shame to say that because again, of course, the Miami Dolphins, as soon as they get a quarterback that's capable of that type of play, he has to be injury prone like this. And it's a shame because I feel for Tua because it's like you're hearing all this crap about wanting to be replaced and no one believes you can play quarterback. And of course, the first year that you come out and show that I can be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, you miss the first playoff game that the Dolphins have made in six years. You're out a couple games, which if you would have won those games, you might have been the sixth or fifth seed and you might not have had to play Buffalo. Maybe you might have had to play, I don't know, the Bengals or, you know, I don't know, like the Jaguars. Maybe you would have played the Jaguars. So, like, I feel for two. I do. And I don't want anything I'm saying to be taken as, like, I don't feel for the kid because he's gotten injured. It's not me being unsympathetic saying that I hope two was injured all the time and I hope he never succeeds in life. I'm just talking as a Dolphins fan. And I'm worried because I don't want to look at next. Like, we are a very good team. I don't think people quite understand. The Dolphins are an extremely talented team. And I don't want to keep looking back. We did it last year. We did it this year. I don't want it to be three years in a row to where we look back and say, what if? What if Tua didn't get injured? What if our quarterback was consistent and didn't get injured three to five times a year? I don't, I, I don't want that because I don't care what anyone says. The Dolphins would be playing this weekend if Tua was healthy. We would have kicked the Bills ass because they almost lost to Skylar Thompson and the Chiefs, with Mahomes getting injured, I mean, the Jaguars, the game was handed it for them, and then they fumbled the ball, but, like, the Dolphins could have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs without a doubt. But your quarterback's not injured. And I see all these people blaming Mike McDaniel, like, Mike McDaniel sucks, he doesn't have any game awareness, and that's true. We can talk about Mike McDaniel in a little. But I don't know what more you want from the guy. His quarterback's in and out of the lineup. Every game that his quarterback's not there, the backup gets injured in the first drive or two. Like, I don't know what more you want from the guy in his first year. So, like, again, we talk about consistency at the quarterback position. I'm out on Tua. I am. As a, when he's healthy, oh my God. I saw enough this year to where I'm like, okay, this guy can be top 10. But at the most important position, you cannot have your most injury-prone player. It's that simple. And two is not healthy, rarely ever. You know, and I, I saw people bring up, well, what about Lamar and Dak? Also the same. Do we need to talk about Lamar Jackson? He's gotten it. Like, the, the Ravens don't make stupid decisions. They don't. 
the fact that they're not willing to give Lamar a lot of money shows that like, oh, okay, they're thinking the right way because he's a running quarterback who's good in the pass game, but he's going to get injured a lot and they're not going to give him a lot of guaranteed money because they see the same thing. He's going to probably get injured a lot with his style of play. Doesn't last a long time. Dak Prescott, do we need to talk about consistency on and off the field with Dak Prescott? I mean, have we watched him for the last seven years? So like, that's not a good place to be to where you're like going into every season thinking, man, if we could just have a top tier backup, we're good. You shouldn't need one. You should have a good backup, but you shouldn't be worrying about your backup that much. You should go into every season, obviously with the same normal concern that you hope your quarterback stays healthy. Every team has that. But we shouldn't be going into a year thinking of Tua like we do Armstead, where it's like, he's going to be good when he's healthy, but he'll probably miss three to five games. That's not, you can't have that with the most important player on your team. So the Dolphins have, you know, some thinking to do. Are they going to give him a fifth-year option? It's like guaranteed 22 or 25 million if they do. He's guaranteed to get that money if they do his fifth-year option. Or do they just let it play out to chance and see what happens in his fourth year? I would do the the, the latter. I would not give him his fifth-year option. I would see how the fourth year plays out. And if he plays well, give him his extension if he's able to stay healthy. Obviously, you're not going to give him a lot of money because of the injury. And then if he doesn't get injured, you're not tied to him and you can just move off. But like, again, it's a shame, but I, I'm being realistic and I'm looking at the trend for the last six years of his career. He gets injured all the time. He's small. The hits that normal quarterbacks take are going to be harder on him. It's not a training issue. It's not like he's not getting good training from Nick Hicks. It's not of that. It's none of that. It's just he's a smaller person than the guys in the NFL are crazy good. They're crazy strong, crazy athletic. They're huge. And it's good. He's going to take more of a beating than a Justin Herbert or a Josh Allen or like a Dak, even Dak Prescott. Like Dak Prescott's injury prone, but like that's that's even weirder because he's like he's a bigger quarterback on like Tua. So after this year, again, loved what I saw from Tua when he was healthy, but he's not healthy. I don't like the quarterback of any team when they're not consistent, health-wise or on the field. Tua is pretty damn consistent on the field, but he's not on the field all year long. And we've seen it three years in a row now, even going back to college, six years. So I'm, I will always support Tua. If he's the quarterback this next year, of course I will support him. But I do not think he's our future. I don't. Um, And again, it's not me wishing that he didn't have a future. It's me being a Dolphins fan and wanting a a reliable, consistent play and availability at the quarterback position because that is what is going to hold us back from getting and winning a Super Bowl. So that's on Tua. Then with the offense, I think from Mike McDaniel, again, we talked about the theme of the podcast being consistency. With Mike McDaniel, I, I I mean, yeah, of course, there are areas where Mike McDaniel definitely needs to improve. Number one, his clock management is just not good. Um, I think that other head coaches that struggle with it, a first-year head coaches, kind of get away with it. Because you look at Mike McDaniel, it's not his fault that he's a good head coach. It isn't. It's not his fault that even with all the consistency and availability issues at quarterback, they still got to the playoffs. That's not his fault. That's a good job on him. 
And normally your first year as a head coach, the Zach Taylors, the um, Dan Campbells, your first year as a head coach, that you don't have to worry about, you know, even Brian Flores, you don't have to worry about times where you don't do the right clock management because you suck anyway. So who cares if you don't call a timeout the right time? Or who cares if you're a little late with your play calls? You've won three games all year anyway. It doesn't matter. But with Mike McDaniel, those mistakes really were elevated and, and mattered because you were in games that you needed to win. And obviously with the Buffalo Bills game, you know, taking that long to call a play, even after you knew that it wasn't first and it was fourth, I think a big thing that Mike McDaniel can do to help improve his odds of not having that happen again is to condense the play calls. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's possible. Again, I'm not trying to say I know more. I'm just thinking that like, if it's hard, again, I'm looking at how long it takes Tua or Skyler to say these plays every week and how long it takes to call them. These are long-ass plays. Dan Orlowski did a great job on uh, Get Up where he showed a, a page of, 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 a, of a play calling sheet that's similar in style to the Shanahan scheme. And he's like, this is how long it takes to call these long plays. So if I'm Mike McDaniel, I'm making these play calls more condensed, easy to say, so they don't take so long. And then as far as just getting a feel for the play calls and like, you know, getting a feel for the game, again, I, I think people are a little too hard on him. It's his first year calling plays ever. He did not call plays in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan did. He's never called plays before. And so where a lot of coaches, especially offensive coordinators who get these head coaching jobs, they sometimes come from teams where they were the play caller. And so when you become a head coach and you're calling plays, that element is not new to you. For Mike McDaniel, it was. So you got a guy who's never been a head coach, never been a play caller, and he's dealing with all these inconsistencies at his quarterback position, and he still was able to accomplish what he accomplished and they still almost beat the Buffalo Bills in round one of the playoffs. So, like, I think the future of Mike McDaniel is extremely bright. I know the players love him. Um, of course, there were areas that he messed up. There are areas that he has to improve on if this Dolphins team wants to be better in the future. But I think that that's naturally going to come with time as a head coach and more experience. And I, I trust from what I've seen of him, I trust that he will take this offseason to learn from those mistakes and improve them. Um, but until then, again, to say that like he sucks or he's not going to improve that, we haven't seen it. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he made those mistakes. He's a new first-year head coach who's never called plays. Let's give him an offseason to process, improve, and, and then we'll take it from there. Now, switching to the defense, again, consistency. I mean... Can you get more injuries on defense? Defensive line, we were good. Linebacker, I mean, health. You, the linebackers can be as healthy as they want. They're not that good. And then in the secondary, you have Byron Jones who won't play because you tried to get J.C. Jackson and he's bitter about it. So he faked an injury all year. You have Brandon Jones who was out after, I, I don't even know what week that was, that he got injured. Nick Needham out for the year at the Pittsburgh game. Um, Trill Williams didn't even get to play this year, you know. The, and then Xavier Howard is dealing with injuries the whole entire year because that's just, again, that's, that's who he is. He's injured almost all the time. 
And so there's the consistency issue right off the bat as far as availability. And as much as I was a Josh Boyer critic because I did not like him at all, I did understand that there were going to be times where the stats and stuff may not look good, but, you know, they might have looked a little better had he, you know, not had all those injuries on defense, especially with the style that he likes to run. You have to understand the Belichick disciple tree on defense the, the the foundation of that defense, that 3-4, especially the hybrid, you have to have cornerbacks. You have to have a good secondary. They don't put a lot of stock into the front seven. That's not the main area of focus. And so when your primary foundation of your defense and your scheme is injured, you're automatically going to struggle guaranteed. My issue was with Josh Boyer, and we're going to talk a little bit about his firing and why I'm happy it happened, Um, you know, and especially we're going to talk about the defensive coordinator positions moving forward, who I would like. Um, But, like, my problem with Josh Boyer is it was almost like he didn't care that his secondary was injured. He still relied on cover zero way too much. He still put guys like Xavier Howard in way too difficult of positions. He's older. He's not. He's dealing with injuries. Do not stick him on an island against Stefan Diggs. That's just a stupid thing to do. And that was my problem with Boyer. It's not the stats. It wasn't that. It was be, like, I understand you have injuries, and especially on this scheme, the secondary injuries really matter. But it's the fact that there was no adjustment. And on top of that, there was no feel for the play calling from Josh Boyer at all. And to where I can look at McDaniel and say, okay, it was his first year. Josh Boyer, you had last year. And I said on the podcast, and I'll say one last time because he's no longer a part of the team, Josh Boyer got his play calling duties revoked halfway through the season. Do you remember when we were getting our asses whooped like 45 to 17 against the Bucks? That was the Josh Boyer defense. Remember when we were like top five in every category on defense the last half of the year? That was Brian Flores. And we saw it this year, once Brian Flores left, say what you want about him, he may have been a horrible head coach, but the man knew defense. And when you gave Boyer the chance, Tom Garfinkel and Chris Greer, you stuck him on McDaniel and you said, let's see what happens a year, you got exposed. And Josh Boyer this year got exposed, I don't care about the injuries, every time it's third down, you do not need to do a cover zero blitz. You went out and you got Bradley Chubb, you traded a lot for him. You don't need to consistently blitz this much, okay? And when you do blitz, maybe try to change it up a little. Maybe don't have every time you blitz just be a cover zero. Maybe, I don't know, do some, I don't know, zone blitzes, mix it up a little. I, I don't know, like that That to me makes it, I know, I know that your uh, personnel isn't great in zone, but it's like every single time you wanted to blitz, it was like, yeah, yeah, let's just do cover zero. Anytime it was third and long against Josh Allen, yeah, let's just do cover zero. That's that's not, you need to change it up. And that was my issue with Josh Boyer. It's like there was no self-awareness of like, hey, maybe I should change things up because of the injuries. Maybe I should change things up because what I'm doing isn't working. And there was none of that. There was no feel for the game. And again, I, I know it sucks because someone just lost their job, but I'm a Dolphins fan. I'm not Josh Boyer's son. And so for the Dolphins, I think this is a really good move because I think when you look at the forecast of the Dolphins in the future, 
Mike McDaniel talked about this in his, um, you know, his statement on the firing. He said, I feel it's in the best interest for the Dolphins moving forward if we move on from Josh Boyer. And that to me is where all of this lies. It's Josh Boyer, when you translate again, translating it to next year and the years beyond, the personnel that you need for his defense, that's not where our team strengths are anymore. Even with health, Byron Jones isn't going to be here. Cater Kohu and Nick Needham are good, but they're not like these shutdown corners. At, at the secondary, you have Javon Holland, but like Brandon Jones isn't good in coverage. Eric Rowe isn't what he used to be. And you just traded for Bradley Chubb. So clearly the, the focus and foundation, you're about to pay Wilkins. Where's the most money on your team? That's where the focus, that's where your strengths are. The focus of this team is no longer the secondary. It's the front seven, especially that front four. And they're really good. And so I think moving forward, if you want to have a better defense, a more stable defense that's not as fluky and and centered around a cover zero, you need to go out and you need to go establish a 4-3 scheme. Right now we're 3-4. I do not think the linebackers we have fit a 3-4 scheme anymore. I think with Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips, you stick them in a 4-3 and you tell them to pin your ears back and you are pass rushers. You're not outside linebackers, you're edge rushers. And then with the cornerbacks, mix it up a little. Don't get guys, again, they don't need to be Xavier Howard and Byron Jones or Xavier Howard and J.C. Jackson. Just get guys like Cater Kohu and Nick Needham that are good and can do a good enough job back there. Instead of having Javon Holland be a single high safety every play, get him a Jordan Poyer in free agency and have them back there a lot more. You know, instead of just single high safety, have two high safeties. And I think that moving forward, not only is that what makes sense with the personnel that we have. It's also like what Mike McDaniel wants. Look at the teams that Mike McDaniel comes from. The 49ers. Look at the disciples from there. Robert Sala. What he runs in in uh, in uh, New York with the Jets. He comes from that 4-3 scheme. He's not a 3-4 type of guy. And from everything that I've listened to people who I know have sources and things like that. He got stuck with Josh Boyer because of Chris Greer and Tom Garfinkel. And last year he wanted Vic Bangio and they said, just take a year, fix the offense. And if you do, we'll, we'll get, we'll go back to it next year. Well, he fixed the offense Tua looked incredible when he was healthy and the defense stunk it up. And so, yeah, of course he gets his choice now, a defensive coordinator. I would, I'd be like, Hey, you know what the hell you're doing? You got us, you got us to a playoffs in your first year. So yeah, you could pick your defensive coordinator. And so with Josh Boyer, I really, again, I, I, it's a shame that someone lost their job. I'm not his dad. He'll be fine. He'll get a job somewhere. He'll probably end up in New England again, knowing him. But like I think for the Miami Dolphins, you need to create a more sustainable style of defense. And based off the personnel that you have with your injured aging secondary, that's a 4-3. And that's a defense that primarily relies mainly on that front seven. And with our defensive line, I mean, you can't blame them for wanting that. Jalen Phillips next year is going to see a massive improvement when he's primarily just a pass rusher. Nick uh, Bradley Chubb, especially if Vic Vangio is the guy coming from that scheme that he knows, I expect him to take off. Christian Wilkins, one of the best, if not the best defensive tackle in the NFL this year. Zach Sealer and Raekwon Davis, like, 
huge pieces. I think linebacker, there's a lot to be left left to be desired. But I still think with Alanda Roberts and Jerome Baker, you have some pieces there that you can not necessarily rely on as much as you were, but still keep them in the mix to where like it's not like you're you're having to start from scratch. But, you know, I understand the move that they're trying to make where it's not just about what happened with Josh Boyer the last two years, but it's also what Mike McDaniel sees for the future of his team. And I can't stress that enough. It's his team. It's his football team. He should be allowed to get the coordinators and the coaches that he wants because at the end of the day, if he fails or if they fail, it's on him. And so if I'm a head coach, I'm like, can I have the guys I want? Because at the end of the day, if we suck, I'm the one getting fired. And I, and I get it. Now that translates into what's currently happening with the Dolphins, which is they're doing their defensive coordinator search. And the guys that we know that they have requested interviews from, linebacker coach Anthony Campanelli, Vance Joseph, Sean Desai, and you hear too much rumblings about Vance Joseph for it not to be true. Now, I don't know if they've interviewed him. I don't. The thing about Vance Joseph is, or not Vance Joseph, Vic Vangio, is because since he is not technically a coach, he's a um, like a consultant, you don't have to announce that you are interviewing him. So like Vic Vangio, he's interviewed like with the Panthers, with the Falcons, and so I'm not sure if those were public, but like the Dolphins don't have to announce that they are interviewing Vangio. I have no idea if they have. I know from people that you listen to, basically everyone, national and local, the Dolphins want Vangio. Um, and so talking about the candidates, you know, I think the Anthony Campanelli one, I would I would say this to all Dolphin fans, just because someone is interviewed for a position does not mean they, they are going to get hired. You know, last year we interviewed Kellen Moore for our offensive coordinator position. I'm pretty sure George Gotze. I, I mean, that's a name I haven't said in like a year. Like he got an interview for the head coaching position. Like sometimes you just interview guys because you're trying to get as much information as possible. And also with someone like Anthony Campanelli, I hope he's still on the staff because everything you hear about him is good. Like he's a phenomenal coach. And so sometimes as an organization, you try to reward being really good at your job by, hey, let's just interview the guy in-house. Why not? Um, I hope that they keep him because I don't think he's going to be the defensive coordinator. I hope whoever comes in keeps him. But if not, um, you know, you still interview him just because he's in building. He did a great job. He has done a great job. And you know that he is a qualified coach for defensive coordinator, even if it's not who you want. But I see a bunch of people that are like, what are we doing? It's like you can interview someone without hiring them. Um, Vance Joseph, I don't think it's the worst move. I think similar to how it happened last year where we were interviewing him for a head coaching job. I don't think he's the choice. Um, I think a lot of this is just the Dolphins trying to interview as much as they can. I think it's good. You you know, you try to interview as much as you can because you never know who's going to blow you away. And also... Chris Greer, I'm pretty sure, is like very good friends with Van Joseph, Vance Joseph. So sometimes you're just trying to do a guy a favor because you're trying to interview him. So, you know, maybe someone will be like, hey, he's a really hot name. Maybe we should interview him for a head coaching job. You know, sometimes that happens in the NFL. With Sean Desai, though, that's kind of where we get into it to where I'm like, I don't think this is just, you know, us interviewing for the sake of interviewing. So Sean Desai, I I had a problem with a bunch of people because when 
Sean Desai's interview came out that we were requesting to interview him, a bunch of people were like, this guy's going to suck. I don't even know his name. And I understand if you want a guy who's been a head coach or defensive coordinator before. I get that. I'm the same. 100% I'm with you. But to say that someone isn't qualified because you don't know their name, that's more of an indictment on you than it is that coach. Because I didn't really know who Sean Desai was. I didn't. But before being like, what the hell are the Dolphins doing? I was like, hey, let me like listen to people who know more than me. Let me research on him. And I really love what I see. Like Sean Desai, so he's currently a defensive assistant for the Seahawks. Um, he's coached uh, at Temple for four years as a defensive and special teams coach. He co- uh, coached at Miami, University of Miami, as an assistant director of football. He was a running back coach and special teams coordinator at Boston College. Um, he w- Then he was a defensive quality coach, control coach with Chicago for six years. He was a safety coach for two years, and then he was their coordinator, defensive coordinator last year, not this past year. And when he was the defensive coordinator, did you know that the Bears under Sean Desai had the tops had a top six overall defense? You probably didn't. I didn't either. And then um, obviously once they hired uh, Eberflus, Eberflus, and got rid of Nagy, obviously he comes in. He's a defensive mind. He's not going to keep um, Sean Desai. And so then he went with Pete Carroll for this past year as a defensive assistant. Um, so you look at his resume. It's like guys that he's coached with or coached around. It's like. Pete Carroll, um, Vic Vangio, he's like Vic Vangio's right-hand man. Anyone that you talk to that that knows about Sean Desai, Sean Desai he's basically like the, the protege or the, the disciple of Vic Vangio. And so for all the people out there that are like, I want Vic Vangio, I want Vic Vangio, it's kind of like saying, I want Kyle Shanahan and you got Mike McDaniel. Except this guy's actually called plays Sean Desai and he was really good at it when he when he did it. And he's also he got his like he got his degree. Uh, he got an undergraduate degree in philosophy and political science. And then he earned a master's degree in higher and post-secondary education from Columbia University. He earned a doctorate in educational administration at, from Temple in 2008. And he was an adjunct professor for two years, professor for two years. So this is a guy similar to Mike McDaniel. That's like kind of like a whiz kid. You know, and so you can see the appeal from Mike McDaniel to where it's like, hey, this guy's like me. Like he doesn't necessarily have a football background, but he thinks of things differently. Um, he thinks outside the box. And on top of it, to all those people saying, I don't know who this guy is. He was a defensive coordinator. He did call plays and their defense was top six in the NFL when he did that. And with not as good of a roster as he would have here. So with Sean Desai, again, I'm not going to claim like yeah, I knew all about Sean Desai. I have a poster of him in my room. I didn't know who he was. But like before we jumped to conclusions, like I did my research, I listened to podcasts, listened to people talk about him who know more about it than I do. And everything I heard was just glowing stuff about like glowing reviews about this guy's really good. He's going to be a future head coach. He's going to be a future defensive coordinator again. He's really, really good at what he does. Thinks outside the box. He's well respected in the NFL. To where I'm like, yeah, like if we can't get Vic Vangio, this is a phenomenal option. Now, again, from what I've heard, the same people like Reason out there, three yards per carry, those type of guys, the same people that that have been pretty spot on, really good batting average in the past, pretty much everyone in the know 
knows that the Dolphins not only want Vic Fangio this year, but they wanted him last year. Mike McDaniel wanted Vic Fangio. And from the assumption that I'm under from, again, people that are talking with sources close to McDaniel or people in the Dolphins building, Vic Fangio also has interest in coming here. It's not just a one-way street. Um, and so I think when it comes to Vic Fangio, it's like, here's my thing with Vic Fangio. He's my number one candidate. He's the guy that I would love. If we can't get him and we get Sean Desai, Sean Desai I will not be mad at all. Um, obviously, I prefer the guy with as much experience as possible, especially since we have a young coach without experience. But the thing with Vic Vangio is we kind of have to wait and see. So Sean Payton, uh, Ben Albright came out today, and he's probably like the most plugged in person out there, like in the national spectrum. And he said that the whole like Sean Payton thing, he's probably just going to go back to TV because um, there's not much of a market for him other than the Broncos. Um, and so that kind of takes out the element of Fangio just following Sean Payton wherever he goes. So really, the only thing stopping Vic Fangio from coming here is uh, Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. So obviously, if once the Eagles lose, whether they make it to the Super Bowl or they lose this Sunday, I think they'll lose this Sunday against the 49ers. We have to see because if, if, if John Gannon, I think is his name, if he gets a head coaching job and, you know, we know that Fangio is a defensive consultant for the Eagles, they are expected to make a, an aggressive push push for him as well. And so essentially the only thing stopping Fangio from coming here is Gannon with the Eagles getting a head coaching job. Now, again, I asked today, I asked Ben Albright, I said, what are the chances that Gannon gets a head coaching job? And he said, it's either going to be him or D'Amico Ryans that get the Houston Texans job. A lot of people seem to think that it's going to lean towards Gannon instead of D'Amico Ryans. Shocker. Um, so really, if that happens, it's the question of do we think Fangio would come here or do you think he would choose the Eagles? I'm not trying to be biased here. If I get the choice between a younger roster with the Dolphins where I get to I get to coach and live in Miami and I'm an older guy, I think Vic Fangio is in his 70s or he's about to be in his 70s. If I get the choice between being in Philly and I grew up 45 minutes outside Philly, so I know what that area is like. If you're giving me the option between living there and living in Miami with no state tax and the better weather, I'm taking Miami every day of the year. And on top of that, Stephen Ross probably will have no issue making him the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL. But that is worthy of talking about the fact that like he could stay with the Philadelphia Eagles because the appeal of staying with the Eagles is they're a really good team. Look how far they've gotten. They're loaded and that he wouldn't have to move. So he might not he might be like, look, I'm older. I don't want to move again. But also, if I do move, why not move to Miami and retire there? A lot of people do it. Um, so, yeah, I think Vic Fangio is the guy that they want from. There's just too much smoke around it for there not to be defy for there not to be a fire. Uh, I think they want Vic Fangio. We know McDaniel wanted him last year. I think he's going to go out. He's going to get his guy. Um, I think that even if. Everything that happens with the Eagles happens where Gannon gets a job with the uh, Texans as their head coach. I still think Vic Vangio would want to come here. And so 
I think Vic Mangio will be our defensive coordinator next year. I hope he will be because you could say what you want, uh, you want about him as head coach. Again, kind of like Brian Flores, the man knows defense. And if he comes here and changes us into a 4-3 with the front seven he would have, he's going to probably get a linebacker that he wants, an elite linebacker. You sign a Jordan Poyer for like 10 mil a year, stick him back there with Javon Holland. Javon Holland no longer is having to be Superman back there. He can just be the Javon Holland that we know where his ball skills and his instincts are just elite. You can stick him back there. I think you'll see much more improvement from him. You don't rely on your cornerbacks as much. Maybe in the draft or in free agency, get a, 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 you know, a second tier type of free agent in the secondary and you're good to go. I think you're going to see top 10, top five defense from the Dolphins next year. And even with Sean Desai, again, I, I prefer Vic Vangio because I want an experience, but like, I would not be upset with having a coach as our defensive coordinator to where the last time he was a head coach or a defensive coordinator, he had a top six defense with less talent. Like, I won't be upset about that at all. And so my top two are Vic Vangio and Sean Desai in that order. After that, you know, Lovey Smith is out there. Uh, I don't think that would be, you know, a, a, a bad choice for them to explore at all. I don't know if Lovey Smith would want to do anything if it wasn't a head coaching job anymore. Um, and, you know, obviously there's other guys out there, but in my preference, it's like I really would like the Vic Vangio or Sean Desai. I don't really think we need to talk about others. Um, I think the Anthony Campanelli and Vance Joseph are kind of just doing their due diligence but like, I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Now, I've also heard, and this is something that Reason talked about on his show, Finside the NFL, which definitely go check that show out. It's phenomenal. Um, he mentioned how, like, if Sean Desai doesn't get a, a defensive coordinator job and Vic Vangio gets our defensive coordinator job, I mean, the perfect storm, question mark? You get Vic Vangio here. He's getting older. He's probably not going to want to be a head coach ever again. You bring him here. Sean Desai comes with him if he doesn't get a defensive coordinator job. And maybe that's why they interviewed him. Maybe they interviewed him because they just want to know more about Vangio because they know they're going to get him. And they want to ask him, hey, would you come here and, you know, help us out on defense with Vangio? And then eventually when he wants to leave or retire... Maybe they've been talking with Vangio and he's like, yeah, I'd only want to coach for two years. Hey, you stay here for two years and we'll make you our defensive coordinator because then you have a succession plan because the one thing about these older coaches is you have to be ready for them to either move on for a head coaching job or retire. With Desai, you would have an option for a, a, a succession plan in place. So I think it's really, really good. Again, I, I, I can't stress this enough. I really think the personnel on this team, you need a 4-3. Mike McDaniel clearly wanted Vic Vangio last year. He wants that style of scheme. It's his head coaching job. He should get the guy he wants. And, I mean, I just think it was unexcusable this last year that we had a top 10 offense. Even when, I think when Tua, considering the games where Tua wasn't on the field, if you just factor in our offense the whole year, we were like the 11th offense in the NFL even considering games two it in play, you cannot have a top 11, consider it top 10 offense and be giving up 24.7 points per game, whatever we were. You cannot. 
when you have a top 10 offense, if you're even just middle of the pack on defense, you're going to win a lot of games. And so I think next year, even again, considering the two injuries, you get a guy, a good backup to come in that's not Teddy Bridgewater. You know, you make some small improvements on the offensive line. I really don't think they're that bad. I think you just need a right tackle and you'll be good. Um, You get a guy to come in in case Tua gets injured. And if you have a top 10 defense, I mean, again, if, if even if we just have the production we have a lot, we had this year of a top 11 offense, considering the games Tua didn't play as well, you have a top 10 defense and we're talking like 11, 12 wins, even with the quarterback injuries. So I think that this is going to be a really important, important hire. I think that in the next two months, you're going to see a huge transformation on this Dolphins defense schematically. Uh, Personnel-wise, I think you're going to see a lot of changes for the better. Um, And again, we have to wait till the Eagles are eliminated, whether it's, again, this next week or they go to the Super Bowl. We have to wait for that because they can't hire Vic Fangio until that happens. And Gannon can't obviously move forward in the hiring process until that happens. So I don't expect us to find out for at least another week and a half, probably till... Friday of next week, like right before February starts, of who we hired as defensive coordinator. But I would assume it's going to be Fangio, and if not, Desai for sure. Um, And I think that's a really good move for the Dolphins to make. But overall, again, you just look at this season, a lot that could have been had, a lot of stuff that was great. Tua went healthy, phenomenal. Tyreek Hill, just sensational. Jalen Waddle, sensational. Um, You know, defense left a lot to be desired, but we did have injuries. I think a lot of that's going to change with the new coordinator and just different personnel. Um, And so, again, 2022 is a good launch point for the next couple of years. But if the Dolphins are serious about winning Super Bowls, I mean, your window's now. You don't have many more years. Um, And that's why I'm so serious about the Tua thing, because, like, I know our window is now. And I don't want us to keep wasting year after year on a guy that is going to miss three to five games a season. Um, but nonetheless, a lot of exciting things to look forward with the Dolphins season. Obviously, a lot to look back on and critique, but there was a lot of positive there. And I think our future is really bright as a team. Again, the last game of the season, I know you lost it, but you almost beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo with your seventh round rookie. That's not an easy thing to do. And so, again, we look forward at the Miami Dolphins. We're excited. We're optimistic. But there is a lot of room to grow. And I'm excited to see what paths Mike McDaniel takes or what things he does in the offseason to improve upon the failures of 2022. So that's it for today's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed. And I'll see you next time here on the Finn Sports Football Podcast. Finn's up. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins.